This is part five of our series called Future, and I've entitled it My Opus. What's next when life happens badly? The subtitle, the byline to the series is Scars Mean Healing, Not Regret. I want to drill down on that a little bit. Last week we shared a quote by Brian McLaren that goes like this. Where do you go when faith is forced out of the fortress of certainty? We love things to be certain. And for those of you that have a certain kind of personality, you really want things to be certain. You want everything to be in a nice, neat little jar and a label on it, and you want to know where you can count. And of course, we've been taught in our religion and in our faith, especially here in America, that we can just grab a hold of a Bible promise and we can declare that and claim that and we can be certain that God's going to answer. You know, the problem with that is life still happens badly a lot of times in a lot of situations. So I have something else that I want to say sort of as a banner statement. What do you do when life takes a sudden turn? When bad news devastates your dreams and suddenly you're expendable. Everybody has been through circumstances like that where your dreams went up in smoke and all of a sudden your value and your worth and your identity because we tend to tie our identity and our worth to the things that we do, to our accomplishments. And, and when those go badly, when those go sideways, we, we question our identity. Many things come into question. You and I cannot stop bad things that try to steal our dreams from happening. You might have faith to move mountains, but as Paul said, right, that's not really what counts. In fact, love supersedes all of that. He in as much said, so what if you can move mountains with your faith, but you don't have love. The first thing I want to say to anybody who's had some bad news, it's devastated your dreams, and suddenly you feel expendable, is it's okay to admit I'm scared to death. I don't know. Do you have somebody in your life that you can say that to? Is there somebody in your life that you can admit, man, it's all, it's all gone sideways and I'm scared. And I've been speaking the promises and I've been praying and I've been claiming and I've been... In fact, I, I want to push back a little bit on some poor teaching that's made its way into certain circles. Saying it is not claiming it. 
But the saying goes like this, when people use this, name it and claim it, or you just declare it and God will bring it to pass, you declare his promise, that ties God's hand, he's got to do it, it's his word. Saying it isn't claiming it. And as we've been learning, both my, bro, my son-in-law, Matt, as well as my message last week, talked about how that it's actually God's will that we wrestle with the word of God, that we wrestle with our faith, and that that's okay, that doubt is not the enemy of faith. Here's what I know, though. According to Psalm 56 and verse 8, the psalmist said, the Lord catches my tears and stores them in a jar. It doesn't say that he'll give you the kind of life where you have no tears. It says he catches your tears, which means it's okay to fall apart, even in God's presence, because he's going to catch your tears, and he's going to put them into jars, and he's going to remember, and he's going to love you, and he's going to embrace you in the midst of life going sideways. Has life ever gone sideways for you? Who's willing to admit that? You don't need to raise your hand, but are, are you willing to at least admit it to yourself? Life has gone sideways, and it's okay to be afraid. Secondly, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 in the New Testament, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He doesn't promise to eliminate our cares. He says, when you have them, cast them on him. So in other words, you're going to have scars. I mean, whether or not you're a passionate Christ follower, whether you attend church, whether you would even claim to be a Christian or not, every person has scars from battles and from dreams not realized and from hopes dashed and life going sideways. But those scars mean healing, not regret. Now, I wanted to preach this sermon. <laughs> I, I thought long and hard about how I would say all that I want to say about this subject. Scars mean healing, not regret. And then I remembered a movie that I saw some 20 years ago. And I worked hard to get the, the montage, the clip that I'm going to show you. The movie is called Mr. Holland's Opus. Maybe you've seen it. Mr. Holland is a passionate composer of music and musician who hasn't made it big. His life's dream is to compose a symphony that will transcend musically and that he'll become famous. But life happens, and in the meantime, he has to take a job, and he becomes a music teacher at a school, a local school in his town. 
the ups and the downs of that. And what's meant to be a temporary job just so that he can make enough money and last long enough to where he can get published and known. That's his dream. That's his goal. Life happens. And it goes sideways on him. I want you to watch this clip. Mr. Holland has a 30-year-old son. I'm just going to set this up for you just a little bit beyond what I have because I want you to know who these characters are when you see them. And let's be sure once this clip starts that we have plenty of good volume. I, I want to mention, by the way, facial expressions are everything. As you watch this clip, facial expressions are everything. And listen really careful. Mr. Holland has a 30-year-old son named Cole who was born deaf. Their relationship during the movie, while Cole is growing up, is often difficult and exasperating. But by the time of this montage that I'm going to show you, that I'll be playing, that relationship has turned, and it's much different. Also, Mr. Holland's best friend, Bill, is the football coach at this school. And then there's a huge surprise that comes at the hands of one of Mr. Holland's former students who is now the governor of the state. Please, Jeff. Hey, John. Who wants to see me? He's with someone. Oh. Well, I'll come back later. Mr. Holland. You better wait. Mr. Holland, could you come in, please? Sarah, Jean. Please, sit down. Rather stand, thanks. Why is Sarah crying, Jean? All right. I'll come right to the point. You know how acrimonious the budget meeting was at the Board of Education meeting last Tuesday. Be that as it may. Each school in the district has been asked to submit proposals on ways of reducing costs by 10% for September. This is what I've decided. Entire music program. And art and drama. Well, congratulations, Gene. You've been looking for a way to get rid of me for 30 years, and they finally gave you an excuse. You know, I'm not as popular as you. I'm not anybody's favorite anything. That's because you're the enemy, Gene. You just but don't know it. I care about these kids just as much as you do. And if I'm forced to choose between Mozart and reading and writing and long division, I choose long division. Well, I guess you can cut the arts as much as you want, Gene. Sooner or later, these kids aren't going to have anything to read or write about. Mr. Holland? 
there's anything I can do. <laughs> a recommendation? I'm 60 years old, Gene. What are you gonna do? Write me a recommendation for the morgue? Jacobs would have fought this. She would have lost. Yes, she would have lost, but she would have fought this. And so will I. No, no, do not misunderstand me. I am not talking about my job. I am talking about the education that students once got at Kennedy High versus the education that you people are willing to give these kids today. We have been going over and over this, Mr. Holland. We've done all we can. Then do it again. That's what I used to tell you when you were my student, Michael, and it served you pretty well then. Well, that was a different time, Mr. Holland. I don't think the time was that different. I think that more was expected of us. Fifteen and I seconds. I think the big difference is how little you people care and how lazy you become. I resent your tone, Mr. Holland, and I don't think you have any real appreciation for our financial problems. Oh, come on, Michael. You know, the big problem here is that you people are willing to create a generation of children who will not have the ability to think or create or I, listen. Mr. Holland, Mr. Holland, as I've said, we've done the best that we can. Your best is not good enough. A very flattering offer has been made to me to teach at a university for the deaf in Washington, D.C. I'm not sure that I'm going to take it because I'm fond of the students and the school that I'm at now. It's something to think about. No girlfriends yet, at least not serious ones. And tell Dad that I'm never going to give his car back. Love always, Cole. Jock straps in the rent cycle down in the locker room. Let's see if you need any help. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. So you decided what you're gonna do yet? Too old to start a rock band. Probably hang out a shingle and teach a few piano lessons. I'd love to retire. I'd... I'm not retiring, Bill. I'm getting dumped. And I don't think you have anything to worry about. The day they cut the football budget in this state, well, now, that will be the end of Western civilization as we know it. 
I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm scared to death. They have no idea how much they're going to miss you around here. You really think so? What, do you doubt it? Well, as a matter of fact, yeah. It's almost funny. I got dragged into this gig kicking and screaming, and now it's the only thing I want to do, and... You work your whole life. You work for 30 years because you think that what you do makes a difference. You think it matters to people. And then you wake up one morning and you find out, well, no, you've made a little error there. You are expendable. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I should be laughing. You sure you don't need any help, huh? to do this. I don't want an old fart like rain at all. Okay, okay, asshole. <sighs> That's enough, you two. Let's go out to the car. Now, what is that? Um, I don't know. What, you can't hear what's going on in the auditorium? Oh, yeah, I, I, I hear it. Well, there's something going on in there. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be. Well, it could be someone program. No, the summer program won't start for another couple of weeks.
I wouldn't have missed him, Mr. Howard. seems to be a little late, so I guess it's up to me to begin. Um, when word first got out that the music program was cut and about the retirement of my husband, well, I've never seen such a response from the community. Oh, looks like my watch is fast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, may I present our governor and Kennedy High School alumnus, the most honorable Gertrude Lang. my tardiness, and uh, Principal Walters, I'd like you to know, yes, I brought a note from my mother. <laughs> Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. something back to you, to you and to your wife, 
who along with you has waited 30 years for what we're about to hear, if you will, would you please come up here and take this baton and lead us in the first performance ever of the American Symphony by Glenn Holland.
Paul, one of the New Testament writers, he said this. And be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim, my life's journey, my essence, my daily being is to know him. To experience the power of his resurrection. To share in his sufferings and to be like him in his death. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that lay ahead. I mentioned to you that healing is our way forward, not regret. So I want to give you a couple of just some principles here as we close our service based on the things that we saw and things that the Holy Spirit has been saying to you about life having gone sideways. Number one, it's okay not to know. It's okay not to have the answer for everything. It's okay not to have it all worked out. That doesn't mean you're in doubt. That doesn't mean faith isn't working. That, that doesn't mean that the Bible isn't real or isn't true or that God's left you. Number two, every dream encounters seasons where it seems this cause, this effort, all this time was misspent. If we could bring me down, please. You know, most likely you're overextended. Practice some self-care. Paul wrote in another place, he said, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I don't have to try. I just live. I just am. I just live out my... You know, going to the grocery store can be something that God's involved in with you. My wife and I, as pastors of this church help sponsor a bingo session on Tuesday. And on Friday, we assist St. John's in sponsoring their bingo session. <laughs> Some years ago, I would have considered that of the devil. I mean, truly, churches don't play bingo. Christians don't play bingo. What a cop-out. What a compromise that you, you're not believing God and trusting God for what you need. But I can tell you that those two bingo sessions each week have become one of the most joyous, spirit-filled times of sharing our faith, sharing life with people who are just average people. And they've chosen this as their entertainment. We've prayed for people right there. I mean, taken their hands, prayed for them, spoken peace over their lives, cried with them. We've been in their home, gone to the movies together. <laughs> Jesus said this, come away by yourself into a desolate place and rest a while. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Self-care. It's okay to go through a time and to always be sensitive to caring for yourself, doing the things that make you happy. Number three, comparing yourself to others, measuring your dream against the supposed success of another person is always devastatingly foolish. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Someone else said, a flower does not think of competing to the flower next to it. It just blooms. Isn't that great? Cease comparing yourself, your dreams, your expectations in life to others. Your success, your perceived success, your failures even. Stop comparing your failures to somebody else. You might need somebody, especially a very short list of, of maybe one or two people, trusted friends that you can share your life with. That's good. But stop, sharing, stop comparing even your failures to somebody else. Your life is yours. Here's what Paul said in his book or his letter to the Corinthian church. This is about 70 years after the death of Jesus. Watch this. We wouldn't put ourselves in the same class with or compare ourselves with those who are bold enough to make their own recommendations. Certainly, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves to themselves, they show how foolish they are. Number four, and I have six. There is one choice you're going to have to make, something you're going to have to bear down, put your mind to, regardless of your circumstances. You have to choose. This is not going to define me. This circumstance, this failure, this element of life going sideways, what, what, whatever it is, this thing that's going on, this sickness, this disease, my spouse leaving, the condition of my marriage or my career and it's turned upside down and oh, how I wish I weren't working for that manager. Whatever it is that's gone sideways on you, there's a choice you're going to have to make in the middle of that thing. And it's that that does not define you. That trouble, that persecution, that divorce, that relationship, that anger, it does not define you. See God in the present rather than regretting the past. You know, most of us are our harshest, our own harshest critique. Other people don't think that way about you most often others aren't nearly as critical of you as you are of yourself love who God has made you in our text that we've had for this series let's look at verse 8 Philippians chapter 3 has been our text look with me at verse 8 he Paul says in fact I've come to the conclusion that every association I have with that which defined me before as a devout Jew. So he's referring to a whole religious system, a whole way of living, his set of friends, his career, everything. He's referring to the whole thing and he says, look, 
I am not going to allow that former association, that former way of life to define me. No, it is eclipsed by what I have gained in knowing the Messiah. Jesus Christ and his masterful redemption define me. <laughs> he closes with this comment. Religion is like dog poo. It stinks. Avoid stepping in it. Isn't that great? Philippians chapter 3. The mirror translation. Number 5. And I take this from verse 9 of our text. And be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness, to be found in Jesus every day, no matter what you're going through, no matter whether you've been able to work on your opus, whether dreams have gone sideways, and like Mr. Holland, you thought what was going to be a temporary job so that you could write your opus and become famous turns into three decades of trying to help others with their dream. Maybe you find yourself in that very situation. You've not accomplished your dream at all. You had big dreams. And now you've spent the last decade, the last five years, the last couple of years helping others with their dream. And you're frustrated. Why, God? Why haven't you allowed me to do what I had in my heart? And it might be as the one student who got up, the now governor of the state, and said, Mr. Holland, look around you. We are your symphony. We are the notes in your opus. How about you? Be found in Christ. That's your identity. Not an opus, not a dream, not a goal, not something you desire to be, but be found in Christ, which in the same breath, he causes us to understand the number one barrier to this, the number one obstacle is believing that there's something you've got to produce, something that I have to generate to be found in him, something I have to do correctly so that I can be pleasing to God and be found in him. And he says in the next sentence of that verse, verse 9, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. It's not me trying to be faithful to him. It's his faithfulness to me. I'm going to sit there a minute. Dial me back just a little bit further because I'm going to get in to the microphone. It is not what you are doing for him that counts. It's not your struggle to be pleasing. It's not more church, more choir, more Bible reading, or more prayer. He remains faithful even when I am faithless. Paul wrote of his journey. 
So number six is the companion taken from verse 9. Be found in him. And number six, Christ's faithfulness is the center of my life. It's not my attempts. It's not do-it-yourself religion. He was faithful for me. He prays for me. He believes for me. He lives righteously for me. To be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have a righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness.